1: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Caribbean Studies. I'm Alejandra Bronfman. My guest today is Carlos Garrido Castellano, the author of the book called Beyond Representation in Contemporary Caribbean Art, Rutgers University Press. He insists on a new way of thinking about experiencing and writing about art. Caribbean art and artists claim agency in and through the spaces they create. In It is a thoroughly creative work in itself, and it reveals region of fascinating, often deeply political interventions in the public sphere. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, Carlos. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, So I want to start with um, talking maybe a little bit about the title, The Beyond Representation in Contemporary Art, as a way to get into the book. What lies beyond representation? (laughs)
0: That's a nice question, actually. Uh, Well, I have to begin with by saying that uh, much of the criticism on contemporary Caribbean art focuses on uh, the kind of discourses that Caribbean creators produce in order to challenge, to contest uh, external representation, let's say colonial representation coming from Europe, uh, let's say, and the West. In that sense, I found out that uh, there is a lot uh, of uh, there is a huge interest by side of uh, Caribbean creators in challenging those spectators and let's say stereotypes on the Caribbean but at the same time I think we can also see something new something let's say uh, autonomous emerging out of those uh, visual discourses and visual productions so in this book I tried to Understand how uh, arts making in the Caribbean can also be place making, can also be creating a different kind of space, a different kind of public space, civic space to exchange, to interact within the region and beyond. Uh, so, in that sense, I tried in this book, I tried to see how challenging foreign stereotypes is important, of course, uh, and challenging the picturesque. The stereotypical image of the Caribbean produced from abroad, the region, is very important. But at the same time, there are other concerns emerging in different Caribbean contexts, and that's what I tried to analyse in this book.
1: Yes, I really think that your book proposes a whole new way to think and to talk about art. And I I found it very exciting. Um, So the question of curation comes up very early. And it seems to me that you are, in addition to a writer, you're also a curator. Uh, and I read the book as an effort to kind of curate for readers a certain kind of argument about Caribbean art. And I was curious about how you went about your own curation of the art that you, the artworks that you include in the book. How did you choose those works? It seems like there is such a range of things to choose from.
0: Well, uh, that's a nice question as well. <laughs> the thing is that I have to begin with, I have to begin by saying that I'm kind of a matière. Creating curator uh, in the sense that uh, I spent four or five years producing exhibitions, but that's not my main my main area. Uh, at the same time, however, I found very interesting uh, the whole process of displaying, but also thinking about that display, uh, particularly in the case of the Dominican Republic, which is the case I, I work with uh, and the context I work with. Uh, more specifically, with more detail in terms of curating. Uh, the entire experience was amazing and was kind of was very enriching at the same time because I realized that one thing is uh, studying visual production, studying artworks, we can say, uh, as if they were like individual isolated productions. And a very different thing is to see how those discourses, production, cultural productions uh, operate and mobilise, let's say, different kind of affects and effects. And that's something that became quite clear to me uh, in practice while curating some exhibitions. That's something that somehow transformed my way of seeing things and writing about those things. Uh, in, in, in the case I can remember now, the, the exhibition I did with uh, Belkis Ramirez, it was a nice process. And that exhibition consisted of hours and hours and hours of dialogues. Uh, in person, but also via, uh, via Skype. And I think, I remember that my impression of her work changed uh, a lot by exchanging with her, but also being there, being in the Centro Cultural de España in Santo Domingo, and uh, thinking about the space, thinking about the, the viewers of that exhibition, having expectations and, let's say, previous ideas about how the exhibition was, uh, was going to work. Uh, was very important and very interesting in the sense of changing and challenging my own ideas about her work. And, well, I can say that in this case we had a very good time working together. Uh, she was a central part of my of the entire process. She passed away one month ago. So, uh, and in this sense, it was a very, let's say, powerful figure for me. Uh, and I, I guess that Caribbean art has always been uh, shaped by, by the ways in which Caribbean discourses and Caribbean voices have been curated in and out, let's say, different uh, formations, both inside the region and outside the region. If we look at the last 20, 30 years uh, of, let's say, Caribbean art history, whatever that means, we will realise that uh, the weight of exhibition, mega-exhibitions produced outside, from outside the region is hugely now. And that's, of course, very much problematic because it silences many other processes taking place within the region. Uh, So I guess that creating is at the center of uh, art making, art discussing, art uh, thinking, let's say, uh, not just in the Caribbean, but everywhere. And in the case of the Caribbean, it shapes in a very, let's say, complex and problematic way uh, how works and, let's say, artists uh, have been uh, mobilized and discussed and have joined certain conversations.
1: Yeah, I think that you um, you mentioned this this idea uh, of the post colonial exhibitionary context, and I think that that's a little bit what you're talking about, right? And and the ways that you're trying to work against that in the book.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, I I found out that uh, in many ways some curatorial forms, the idea, for example, of the Biennale as the space where cosmopolitan artists and cosmopolitan art critics meet each other and interact with each other, acts as a kind of, uh, pretends to be, let's say, or is presented as a kind of neutral space a random choice that somehow contamines and, uh, let's say, silences all the possible forms uh, and all the possible interactions. and. Uh, for example, while doing research in Puerto Rico and Trinidad and many other contexts, I realized that uh, the exhibitionary complex, that idea of exhibitions being at the, at the heart of our making, our discussing, our displaying, is simply not true. It's simply a kind of a formation that somehow imposes itself onto other uh, different uh Manifestations. Many of the artists who join those forms, those exhibitions, uh, dedicate a lot of time to interact uh, and to produce artist-managed projects and artist-managed space, spaces. So in this sense, I think those forms, those productions, uh, have received much less attention than uh, exhibitions and biennales and so on. So I try to start from the point of considering biennales and exhibitions. As a let's say ideologically uh, not neutral, uh, ideologically charged form of display and creativity, and I also tried to compare them to other possible, other potential, other alternative forms of exchange, of negotiation, of discussion, uh, and that of course came from practice, came from came from let's say listening for hours and hours and hours to many artists complaining about the fact that exhibitions just represent small parts of their own uh, activity, uh, of their own let's say everyday life. So instead of criticizing and let's say rejecting those kind of forms, those kind of creative forms uh, curatorial forms, I try to put them side by side other alternatives uh, other alternative possibilities.
1: Yeah, and what what comes out of that are these descriptions of these wonderful and sometimes um, really ironic and funny funny projects, right? I loved. <laughs> I loved uh, Blown Away, for example. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought maybe um, you could describe that for our listeners, and then and then we can talk about it a little bit.
0: Well, the case of Blown Away was a personal frustration for me. Because I was so yeah, I was so angry with that project, uh, yeah. after having spent many years, many, many years doing research, so after that, you, you come across this exhibition where an Italian guy, an European guy, says that the Caribbean doesn't exist, and the Caribbean is the perfect empty space where he can project his own fantasies and ideas on how absurd the art world is uh, so that was so problematic for me in so many senses that. I needed to write something about that, but I also needed to write something that could contribute. So I I thought that criticizing him wasn't enough, saying that this project was, let's say, restaging and reimposing colonial stereotype wasn't enough. That was obvious for me in a kind of sense. Uh, So I wanted to do something else. I wanted to go one step further, and I realized that, well, somehow represents the stereotypical view that uh, many creators and many let's say players within the international artwork have still have on the Caribbean so that's that, that was the first thing for me to realize that this is not unique this is not uh, a unique case uh, and in some other cases that kind of discourse is also present although in a more subtle way but is that doesn't mean that Is not less dangerous, let's say. Uh, And after that, I realized that the entire structure of Blown Away was about artists doing nothing, artists joining parties and uh, international events and acting like stars. And, of course, that's present in the art world. That's a very, let's say, typical, stereotypical uh, image and, let's say, narrow-minded view of the art world but there is some there is much more and uh, so i could have followed this view but uh, this line but at the same time i thought okay hold on what does it mean to do nothing what can we do while doing nothing and yes i then realized that doing nothing can also be a very powerful form of not uh, joining of uh, let's say not uh, supporting a particular cause, a particular uh, view. And I found out that doing nothing has also to do with the way in which uh, during colonial times, uh, runaway slaves were categorised, were negatively categorised by the uh, plantation owners. So those people are running away and doing nothing, quote-unquote, doing nothing. And then I realised that doing nothing can also be a very powerful activist act can be a very powerful way of challenging, of changing how things should be done, of challenging our own imagination so instead of just criticising blown away I try to put it side by side other, let's say and there might be more successful ways of doing nothing and more, let's say space aware and context aware ways of doing nothing uh, and that's how I try to confront uh, blown away, not just as, as a Particularly, let's say, stupid case uh, of approaching the Caribbean, but mostly as a symptom of how many uh, actors within the art world still look at uh, the region, sadly, let's say. But also about the agency that many Caribbean creators have in challenging and proposing alternative views and alternative understandings of the region, not just in, let's say, confronting those discourses, but in, uh, but also on in uh, proposing uh, materializing those artists.
1: Yeah, and just to be clear, for, for our, um, our listeners who don't know what Blown Away is, it actually was <laughs> a bunch of artists sitting together on the beach and drinking as far as I can, or hanging out, right?
0: Yeah, it's so, basically yeah. Uh, inviting a dozen names, uh, a dozen very powerful names from the international art world Taking them to send kids for two weeks uh, to hang out and do nothing, and then coming back and producing a very intellectual catalog on the whole experience.
1: <laughs> but but I do I did really appreciate the way you kind of peel, you picked at it and and peeled it away, and and then you get to the idea of the which really is contextual in the Caribbean, as you say, and it's about a history of enforced labor and responses to that. And so I think that it re- it really does. Um, force us to think about these things in, in very different kinds of ways. Um, I, I'm wondering if you have a favorite piece that you described in the book, if you oh, found um, that one problematic, hmm. did you find less problematic? Well, there
0: are many. <laughs> there are many, and there are many also that are not in the book, but that should be at the same time. Well, I can think about uh, Don Scott's, uh cultural project, the uh, that huge installation in the National Gallery of Jamaica. That uh, I used to work in the National Gallery of Jamaica library for two months. Uh, I used to go to the archives, check about check information about each project. And one thing I noticed was that although this installation was produced in the mid eighties, it still it's still a central part of the entire museum. It's, cent- it's let's say central place of the gallery, uh, a place where Kids, but not only kids, uh, would go to revisit to think about uh, the entire display of the museum and so on. And my, I, I, I'm I kind of highlighting this one because it was a very uh, personal experience for me to see how people could interact with this project, in which ways uh, good people approach or not approach particular artworks and projects. Uh, and I think uh, I, really, I really, think that artworks have their own lives once they are produced, and that applies to many to our works in museums, but also to our works in let's say, particular collections and private collections, and so on. Another case is uh, Belkis Ramirez uh, Tira Piedras, his giant uh, sling. Uh, I remember being in the Museo de Arte Moderno in Santo Domingo, in the Dominican Republic, and seeing how the visitor approaches their work in a quite performative way, as if that person would throw a stone, would actually pick a, pick a stone from the from the floor and throw it against the wall. So uh, the whole idea of visiting a museum, the whole idea of interacting with the artworks with artworks in those spaces uh, is still, I could say, uh, under theorized because it's not just about how what the artworks represent, it's also about the kind of reactions uh, they trigger by side, of the, by, by side of the audience and spending some time in any of those museums will reveal a lot and will be quite uh, enriching in that sense, in, the, in opening up let's say new possibilities of uh, interweaving and uh, confronting uh, these productions. So I would say those two, the uh, cultural Project by Thomas Scott and uh, Belkis uh, tira piedras.
1: Yeah, the um, the one um, in the in the National Gallery is actually one that I wanted to ask you about a little bit more, um, because you really you describe that in a way that ends up um, ambivalent, right? It's an open-ended discussion that you offer us, and and you talk about the ways that art kind of challenges institutional power, but you also acknowledge the limits of that a little bit, (laughs) right? Yeah, the
0: first thing, the first thing for me was uh, starting from the fact that museums are not graveyards where objects come and they stay like this forever. Uh, in the same, in the same way that spectators and visitors and viewers are not dead in the sense they can, in the sense of having uh, many different approaches and many different possibilities. I think objects within museums are alive as well in that sense so that was central to my understanding of uh, institutional space and institutional practices and creative practices within the institution which is a different thing Uh, but besides let's say applying theory on institutional critique and institutional policies and so on i just tried to pay attention i just tried to uh, stay there for as many times as possible and listen and uh, witnessing what was going on in those spaces and I learned a lot that way uh, so in that sense i think that that appreciation of artworks as being alive has a lot to do with spending time in those spaces and seeing how different people would interact with different artworks i can i can give you another example for example uh, in the again in the dominican republic jorge pineda designed it very beautiful uh, corpse uh, by, uh, made of chalk uh, and that corpse was an homage to uh, Joseph Boyce. and I remember that, seeing that exhibition displayed in the National Gallery, in the Museo de Arte Moderno in Santo Domingo, and I remember how afraid everyone was of breaking that body. The entire exhibition was about you being able to get there, break piece of the body and write whatever you want with that, with that piece. But I remember how everyone was not willing to do that at first. And then suddenly someone did and everyone followed. So I think that's kind of intuitive and that's kind of that, that the entire process of interacting with institutional spaces and interacting with authors, with work, that work, sorry, is kind of intuitive. At the same time, it tells us a lot about how people conceive of those spaces and how people approach or are let's say include feel included or not
1: included within those spaces so and that that's really interesting because not only do you talk about how artists remake spaces, you also talk about how artists. Claim new spaces for art and make, in, in particular, in the the examples with Trinidad and Alice Yar, the idea of undoing uh, the marginality of certain spaces and making them more central, right? So that really, what you're when you when you talk about the reshaping of space, that's really a, a, it's a wonderful example.
0: Yeah, I love uh, the case. I mean, i I'm really I think the, the case of Trinidad is very very interesting because artists there has been operating on a let's say manage uh and small-scale visual organization for around 20 years already. And the way they have achieved to preserve many of those projects going on and being alive and so on is impressive. It's a nice example for any other part of the world. Uh, what I want to say about this is that uh, this kind of space is becoming more and more and more important in times of uh, precariousness and, uh, let's say, Uh, cultural crisis. Uh, So this is becoming a model for many other contexts that somehow realized that keeping the spectacular uh, tone uh, that was, let's say, associated to art making and art producing and art consuming was uh, somehow not sustainable any longer. So I think in the case of Trinidad, what we have is a nice example of how things should be done in a sustainable way, on a participative way on a, let's say on a way that allows many voices, of course coming from different positions. It's not that those voices are still are all the same and let's say are equal, but allow those voices to negotiate and to produce a different space, a different meeting point where they can converge uh, that is somehow shaped by their own necessities, by their own. Uh, needs and expectations. Uh, one of the best experiences uh, in writing this book was uh, spending two months in Alice Yard in Port of Spain and uh, writing while listening how different rock bands and many other kind of bands, music bands, were performing and testing uh, their uh, their music. So in this sense, that's the, let's say, the most remote image one can have of doing academic work. But in this case, was was true. I mean, I wrote about that while listening to bands performing. And I think that was part of the entire project uh, that Alice Jar is. I think that was at the core, at the heart of this kind of initiative uh, that somehow gives us, uh, let's say, gives up some of the specialization that we can associate with contemporary arts. Uh, In the case of conceiving contemporary arts uh, as a product of someone trained to be an artist, trained to be a curator. So it has a lot to do with saying, okay, we have different backgrounds. We have different, we come from different places. But what about creating this in-between space where we can meet and we can, let's say, give something to each other and interact and so on? Uh, I think this is intrinsically linked to Caribbean creativity in the last, at least within the last 20, 30 years. I think this kind of space, such as Alicia, I'm mentioning here, Alicia, but I can give you many other examples in many other contexts, has been crucial to refine what Caribbean, how art is produced and what art does in the Caribbean within the last 20, 30 years. And I think those kind of spaces and those kind of projects are uh, Will have more and more and more protagonism uh, within the near future because this is the this is the most for me I see them as the most organic and productive way of approaching the very essential basic needs that cultural creators uh, can experience.
1: Yeah, and and it, so it, again you push it in. Push that very idea in a slightly different direction when you talk about a different kind of space, which um, I found really fascinating. The work that people are doing on di- diaspora and, in particular, borders. The Dominican artist that you describe, who um, who invited a Haitian man to share a hotel room with him for five days, right? <laughs> I can't stop thinking about the one where the blind um, Dominican, Dominican man carries a disabled Haitian woman through the streets and together they make their way through the public space. Like The, the ways that um, those are very specific to the Caribbean, but they also kind of expand out into saying all kinds of things that you seem to be suggesting about art and the ways that we should think and talk and and experience art.
0: Yeah, in this case, uh, in the case of David Perez, uh, there are many uh, remarkable things about this project. The first one is that uh, he produced this project in Santiago de los Caballeros, in the Dominican Republic. Somehow challenging the idea that still prevails in many in many contexts that uh, painting and sculpture has, are higher, let's say, forms of visual creativity than performance. So to be bold enough to uh, present such a conceptual, such a rich uh, work as Structura Completa uh, was, and to present this in the middle of the space, in the middle of the public space in Santiago, in in the Dominican Republic, is uh, already a lot, means already a lot. Uh, I I remember discussing this with uh, colleagues, in the Republic, with Sajuri Guzman, who is a person who has been supporting uh, performance artists in her country for decades, and saying that uh, to Completa and this, not just to complete but uh, the performances produced around, let's say, the 2009, 2010, around this moment, marked a deep uh, shift in the perception that many people had on performance and performative practices. and. It's very interesting that this same piece was chosen to represent the Dominican Republic in the Venice Biennale. Uh, so the entire artwork was free staged in Venice, and was free staged as a way of uh, showing uh, Dominicanness, uh, portraying a national, two national identities in this sense. Which of course brings different questions into the fore. But uh, what interests me here is that in the case of David, there has been a very powerful, uh, let's say, years long interest in researching how Haitian and Dominican bodies uh, interact uh, within La Española. So it's not about making a statement about Haiti or the Dominican Republic. It's about following bodies, it's about feeling bodies, it's about feeling with those bodies. And I think this is a very powerful, a very productive way of. Uh, using art to delve into the main debates, the main issues that are at stake in La Española right now. Uh, so uh, one of the things I really like from that is how it went, in this case, I think it perfectly applies beyond the representation of, let's say, Haitianness or Dominican-ness, whatever that is, just to explore and expand the possibilities of uh, exchanging physically exchanging, materially exchanging, and also, let's say, conceptually exchanging about uh, art, uh, movement, uh, support, uh, resilience, and many other things. Uh, so I think it was a very moving piece, and uh, if you talk to anyone uh, involved in the performance or made in, in the Republic, they will remember that uh, that performance for the effects it triggered. So it's and I'm very much interested in those afterlives of those projects, in, in the sense that they weren't just in, they were produced to last for a very short period of time. But at the same time, the uh, aftermath, the inheritance of those actions is still alive in many cases, and is still an object of discussion and controversy and so on. So they initiate or let's say continue the conversation that goes on and on and on and on, and things that reveals the power that art, contemporary creativity, can have in expanding uh, visual production beyond, the let's say, the limits of the museum or the sanitized white cube or, uh, or any other art space or institutional space.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I had that response. I can't stop thinking about it and telling people about it. Um, but just as a way of closing up, it it really strikes me that one of the very fascinating paradoxes of this book is that it urges people to go beyond the book, right? So <laughs> you close with this notion of experience as at the core of creativity and the notion of immediacy. And I think that that is true for the artists, but also true for most of us who are not artists, but spectators. Um, it forces us to really theorize experience and and think about how to experience this art um in a much much more full way and it, it, I, don't know, I feel like the the book kind of bounces people out into the world with a new way of experiencing it i don't know if that's what you intended
0: well uh, that was part of the of the idea uh, when designing and thinking about the book uh, i think uh, to be fair with artists we should explore the many possibilities they are opening for anyone in terms of engaging uh, the public space and engaging ourselves in a much, in a more let's say complex and demanding way uh, in this sense for me it was essential to see how many Caribbean artists, many Caribbean visual artists were trying to redefine the entirety of producing art the entire idea of consuming art uh, with, uh, let's say, uh, attending uh, art spaces, attending art exhibitions, attending art events, and somehow looking for a definition that in many cases doesn't exist uh, yet. So there is this speculative tone in those productions, but at the same time, uh, we can also find a very tangible, a very material uh, Interest behind those projects that somehow appeals to everyone it has to do not just with art, but also with what we do, what we usually do, with the kind of exchanges we usually have, with the hours we dedicate to work, to be with others, so on. So that was very powerful for me, and I think there is a lot to learn uh, from uh, those artists in that sense.
1: I agree, and I just I, I thank you for for. Um... For all of that i think that you've you've you put something into the world that will really expand and reverberate and resonate in so many different ways um thank Thank you so much for talking with me about it
0: thank you so much thank you
1: thanks for listening and see you next time i have interviews lined up with jorge giovanetti and alexander rocklin so stay tuned